are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work of the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you would like to discuss today's reading, you can do so on the Facebook group Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and there interact with other readers and listeners. Today is Day 46. And we are reading from chapter 25 of book 1, paragraphs 389 to 400. Chapter 25. How the Most Holy Child Mary began to speak at the age of one year and a half, and how she was occupied until the time of her departure to the temple. The time had arrived in which the Most Holy Mary could profitably and with perfect propriety break her blessed silence in which the voice of that heavenly turtle dove was to be heard on our earth, in order that she might be the faithful harbinger of the springtime of grace. Canticle 2.12 But before she was commissioned by the Lord to speak with men, which was at the age of eighteen months, she was favored with a vision of the divinity, not intuitive but intellectual, which was a summary of those already received and augmented the previous gifts and graces. In that vision, a colloquy took place between the child and the highest Lord, which I tremblingly presumed to reproduce in words. The queen spoke to his majesty, Most high Lord and incomprehensible God, how canst thou pursue with so great favors thy most useless and poor creature? How canst thou unbend thy greatness in such loving condescension toward thy slave, who is incapable of making the least return. The Most High looks down upon the servant. The Most Powerful stoops to enrich the indignant. The Holy of Holies lowers himself to the dust. I, O Lord, am the little one among the creatures, and the least of all deserve thy favors. What shall I do in thy divine presence? How shall I requite what I owe to thee? What have I, O Lord, that is not thine, since thou givest me being, life, and activity? But I rejoice, O my beloved, that thou possessest all the good, and without thee the creature possesses nothing. I rejoice that thou alone canst claim the glory of raising up the little one, of favoring the most useless, giving existence to nothingness. For thus thy magnificence shall become more and more exalted. The Lord answered her and said, My dove and beloved one, in my eyes thou hast found favor. Thine are the sweetnesses of my delight, my friend and chosen one. I will manifest what in thee shall please me most. These promises of the Lord wounded her anew and made the most tender heart of the infant queen pine in throes of love. Though it had already grown strong, and the Most High in his pleasure continued and said, I am the God of mercies, and with immense love I am drawn toward mortals, among so many who have by their faults offended me. I see some just, who are my friends, and who have served me, and do serve me from their heart. I have resolved to save them by sending my only begotten, in order that they may not be deprived of my glory, nor I of their eternal praise. To this proposition the Most Holy Child Mary responded 
Most high Lord and powerful King, thine are all creatures and thine the power. Thou alone art the Holy One and the supreme ruler of all creation. Let thy bounty move thee, O Lord, to hasten the coming of the only begotten for the redemption of the sons of Adam. Let now the desired day of my ancient forefathers begin to dawn and let mortals see the eternal salvation. Why, O most beloved Master, since thou art a most kind Father of all mercies, dost thou delay so much the day, which thy captive and afflicted children expect with such longing? If my life can be of any service, I offer it gladly as a sacrifice for them. The Most High urged her with great benevolence that from now on she should many times each day pray for the hastening of the incarnation of the eternal word and the redemption of all the human race, and that she should bewail the sins of men which impede their salvation and restoration. Likewise, he told her that it was now time to exercise all her outward faculties, and that for his own greater glory it was befitting that she should converse with human creatures. Therefore, in order to comply with his wishes, the child said to his majesty, Most high lord and incomprehensible majesty, how can mere dust venture to treat of such hidden and exalted mysteries? How can she, who is the least of all the women born, dare to converse of secrets so precious in thy sight? How can I win for men thy favor? And what can a creature do that has served thee in nothing? But thou, O my beloved, will be obliged by poverty itself. In thee the ailing will find health, the thirsty will find fountains of thy mercy, and the strength to fulfill thy will. If thou ordainest, O my Lord, that I open my lips in order to converse and speak with others besides thyself, who art all my good and my desire, I beseech thee consider my frailty and ward off the danger. Very hard it is for rational creatures not to fall into excess in conversation. If it is thy pleasure, I would rather keep silence during all my life, in order to avoid all danger of losing thee. For if this should happen, I shall not be able to outlive, if one moment. This was the answer of the Most Holy Child, Mary for she was full of apprehension on account of the new and dangerous duty of conversing with men, which was now enjoyed on her. As far as her inclinations were concerned, if God had allowed it, she desired to observe inviolate silence and be mute during all her life. O oh, great confusion and shining example for the insipidity of mortals, that she who could not sin in speech should tremble at its dangers, and we who cannot open our mouths without sinning in our words are consumed with mortal longings after the dissipation of speech. But, O oh, most sweet child and queen of all creation, how canst thou desire to remain silent? Dost thou forget, my mistress, that thy silence would be the ruin of the world, the sorrow of heaven, and also, according to our ignorant way of understanding it, a dreary void for the most blessed trinity? Dost thou not know that even in a single one of thy words, namely in thy answer to the holy archangel, Fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, let it be done to me according to thy word, Luke one thirty-eight. thou wilt give the plenitude of perfection to all that exists? 
To the Eternal Father, thou givest a daughter, to the Eternal Son, a mother, to the Holy Ghost, a spouse, to the angels, reparation, to men, redemption, to the heavens, glory, peace to the earth, an advocate to the world, health to the sick, life to the dead. In this answer thou givest existence and reality to that which must be considered greater than anything else outside of his own essence and greater than all other works that God could decree and ordain. Since thus the greatest work of divine omnipotence and the welfare of all creation depends entirely on thy word, and how canst thou desire to be speechless, O my lady and mistress? Speak then, O child, who canst speak so well, and let thy voice be heard through all the vast circles of the heavens. With the most prudent answer of this spouse, the Most High was much pleased, and his heart was again wounded by the loving fear of our great child. Therefore, as if fully requited by their beloved, and as if conferring among themselves in regard to her petition, the three divine persons spoke these words of the canticles, Our sister is little and hath no breasts. What shall we do to our sister in the day when she is to be spoken to? If she be a wall, let us build up on it bulwarks of silver. Canticle 8.8 Little thou art, beloved sister, in thy eyes, but great art thou, and great will thou be in our eyes. In this humility thou hast wounded our heart with one of thy hairs. Canticle 4.9 Thou art little in thy own judgment and estimation, and this is what moves us with love for thee. Thou hast not as yet the beasts of nourishing words, but thou also art not a woman according to the law of sin. For in regard to thee this law does not hold, nor do we wish that it should extend over thee. Thou humblest thyself, though thou art great beyond all creatures. Thou fairest, though thou art secure. Thou guardest against a danger which cannot approach thee. What shall we do for this our sister on the day in which she shall open her lips according to our wish in order to bless us, and while the mortals do it in order to blaspheme against our holy name? What shall we do in order to celebrate so festive a day as that in which she begins to speak? How shall we reward such humble modesty of her, who is always the delight of our eyes? Sweet was her silence, and most sweet will be her voice in our ears. If she is a fortress founded on the abundance of our graces and made invincible by the power of our right hand, we will build upon such strong walls, turrets of silver. We will heap new gifts upon the former ones and let these, our turrets, be of silver so as to make them more rich and precious. Let her words, when she begins to speak, be most pure, candid, strong, and full of meaning to our ears. Let our grace overflow from her lips, and let our powerful arm of protection rest upon her. Well, according to our way of thinking, this conference took place between the three persons of the divinity. Our infant queen was strengthened and consoled in her humble solicitude, and concerning her first exercise of her speech, the Lord promised her that he would govern her words and assist her to direct them all toward his service and pleasure. Then she petitioned his majesty anew for his permission and blessing to open her lips so full of grace, and being prudent and considerate in all things, she spoke her first words to her parents, St. Joachim and Anne, asking of them their blessing, and thus acknowledging that from them, after God, she had her life and being. 
The happy parents heard her, and at that same time they saw that she was able to walk by herself. The happy Anne, in great joy of her spirit, took her into her arms and said, My daughter and beloved of my heart, blessed and glorious to the Lord be the hour, in which we hear thy words, and in which thou beginnest to walk in his holy service. Let thy words and sayings be few, well measured and considered, and let the footsteps be directed aright toward the service and honor of our Creator. The Most Holy Child heard these and other exhortations of her Holy Mother Anne, and she engraved them in her tender heart to preserve them in profound humility and obedience. During the year and a half which remained of the three before her departure into the temple, she spoke but few words beside those addressed to her mother. For Holy Anne, in order to hear her speak, was wont to call her and request her to speak of God and of his mysteries. The heavenly child fulfilled her wish, listening to and asking questions of her mother. She that excelled in wisdom, all the women born, desired to learn and be instructed. Thus the daughter and the mother passed their time in sweetest colloquies concerning the Lord. It would not be easy nor even possible to describe the doings of the heavenly child, Mary, during these eighteen months of companionship with her mother. The latter shed copious and sweet tears out of love and gratitude when at times she looked upon her child, more venerable than the symbolic Ark of the Covenant. Yet never did Anne reveal the secret of her heart that her daughter was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, although they often spoke of this ineffable mystery. At such times the child was inflamed with the most ardent love, and she spoke of it in the most exalted terms, innocently extolling her own dignity, without being aware thereof, while her most blessed mother, Holy Anne, was filled more and more with joy, love, and solicitude for her daughter and her heart's treasure. The strength of the tender child was by far inadequate for the fulfillment of the exercises and practices of humility, to which her humble love urged her on. For this mistress of all creatures esteemed herself the lowest of them all, and was anxious to exhibit these humble sentiments in her actions by taking upon herself the most abject and servile occupations of the household. She feared that if she did not serve all that were with her, she could not satisfy her obligation, and would fall short of her duty in the sight of the Lord. While the real cause of her not performing all that she wished was none other than the insufficiency of her bodily forces, and while the highest seraphim would have kissed the place where her sacred feet had touched, yet she was often full of holy fear, lest she be deprived of doing the most humble services, such as cleaning and scrubbing the house. And she was not always permitted to engage in such things when others were present. She tried to do it alone, being on such occasions assisted by the holy angels, and thus in a measure reaping the fruit of the humility through their help. This concludes our reading today from the Mystical City of God for Day 46. Today we read from Book 1, Chapter 25, and we read paragraphs 389 to 400. One of the things that stood out to me in our reading today is that we heard a little bit about the heart of Mary. Now, remember in our Catholic tradition, we have a devotion to the Immaculate Heart. We also have a devotion to the Sorrowful Heart. And I've written a book myself called A Heart Like Mary's, where I really looked at the different dispositions of her heart in light of sacred scripture and how then we can strive to have a heart like hers, a heart like Mary's. And as we were reading today, we heard a few things about the heart of Mary. 
These promises of the Lord wounded her anew and made the most tender heart of the infant queen pine and throes of love, though it had already grown strong. So Mary's heart at a very young age already has a great love. She has a great love for God. She has a great love for humankind. She has a great love for the sinner, wanting that sinner to repent. Another mention of the heart of Mary. The most holy child heard these and other exhortations of her holy mother Anne, and she engraved them in her tender heart to preserve them in profound humility and obedience. Later on in Luke's gospel, we'll hear that Mary treasured the moments of Jesus' life in her heart. Already at the age of one and a half, Maria of Agreda is telling us that Mary is treasuring the different moments of her early life. She's treasuring the moments of her life with her mother, Anne. And as we'll see in the next chapter and the ensuing chapters, well, Mary goes off to the temple. And so if she holds this experience of life with her mother, Anne, in her heart, Well, then she's going to revisit it. Maybe when she misses her mother, when she's in the temple, maybe she'll revisit it when her mother has passed and recall the memories that she has. And that will be an occasion for her to give thanks to God. Mary has a tender heart and a loving heart. We also heard Mary's prayer for the coming of the Savior in our reading, the coming of the Messiah. She says in this prayer, If my life can be of any service, I offer it gladly as a sacrifice for them. So she's offering her life as a sacrifice for captive and afflicted children. Well, Mary makes this prayer, but it's a prayer that we can make. Lord Jesus, I offer my life and sacrifice for my family, for your continued blessings upon them. How can you offer your life as a sacrifice, and who or what will you offer your sacrifice for? The Most High urged her with great benevolence that from now on she should many times each day pray for the hastening of the incarnation of the eternal word and for the redemption of all the human race. So she's praying for the Redeemer to come. And while we look at it today, and we know that the Redeemer has already come, but in a sense, we can be praying similarly as well. We can be praying that the Lord Jesus will return in glory. We can pray for the hastening of his second coming, if that's something that you are comfortable in praying for. Just the other day, we had that beautiful reflection about the Godhead and who God was, and We hear another beautiful reflection. I think it bears repeating. In this reading, it's in response to the future, let it be done to me according to thy word that Mary will utter. Thou wilt give the plenitude of perfection to all that exists. To the eternal Father thou givest a daughter, to the eternal Son a mother, to the Holy Ghost a spouse, to the angels reparation, to men redemption, to the heavens glory, peace to the earth, an advocate to the world, health to the sick, and life to the dead. In this answer thou givest existence and reality to that which must be considered greater than anything else outside of his own essence, and greater than all other works that God could decree and ordain. So by Mary's yes, all of these things are going to happen. This is a wonderful reflection about who Jesus is and what Jesus will accomplish. Health to the sick, the divine physician, as we see in the Gospels. 
He will bring life to the dead, not only those who have died and he raises from the dead like the widow of Nain's son or Lazarus, but he gives life to all the dead that will die in the Lord, that at the second coming he will raise up from the grave all who have died. And so this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does for you and for me. We also see a little bit of the exchange between Joachim and Anne and the child Mary. That was also very beautiful as well. It's a wonderful thing for us to think about the childhood of Mary. And maybe you've seen a statue of Mary or a painting. A long, long time ago, there was this beautiful uh, painting that graced the cover of the Magnificat magazine. And it was of the child Mary. It was such a tender image. Maybe look for a painting or an image of the child Mary and look at that today so that you can kind of place Mary in the situation in which we're reading in the mystical city of God. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading the mystical city of God, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.